Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Brittany Parks, the violinist, singer, rapper, producer, and arranger better known as Sudan Archives, has a complicated relationship with pop music. As a teen, she was pressured by her stepfather, a music exec who helped launch the iconic Atlanta label The Face Records, to form a pop duo with her twin sister. Committed to forging her own path, she rebelled, got kicked out of her family's Cincinnati home, and moved to Los Angeles, where she worked service industry jobs and played open mics before signing with Stone's Throw Records. Two EPs and a full length later, she's at the top of her game. She's released three singles so far this year, each one stronger than the last, and just announced her sophomore LP, Natural Brown Prom Queen. Due out September 9, the album is by no means a straight-ahead pop project, but it contains some of her catchiest, lushest, most joyful songs to date. Surprising, given the fact that she recorded, arranged, and edited them in her basement during deep lockdown. Last month, The Fader's Raphael Hellfan sat down with Parks to discuss her newfound acceptance of capital P pop, her missing pet python, and the unorthodox process behind the excellent new record she can't wait for the world to hear. I caught your set at Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, which was great. Mm, cool. I'm wondering what, what your experience was like at that festival. I'm trying to figure out, oh, Big Ears, where Marcus Moore interviewed me there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you like that festival? It was cool because I remember like Saul Williams was like right after me. And then after Saul Williams, Vest Tumor played. And I'm friends with the bass player of Vest Tumor. And she's super cool. And then Saul Williams, I'm friends with him too because we kind of always are like, whenever I'm on a European festival run, he's always playing like right after me. It's weird. So from that venue, all the people that were playing, I'm like, and even a vest tumor, I'm always playing on the same lineup as to him. So I was like, I felt like um, it made sense in that building, like the lineup. But overall, like the whole festival, it was like all types of music. It was like world music to orchestra music to like Saul Williams and Avez Tumor. It was really experimental, a lot of it. I thought it was great. It was my favorite festival that I've been to in a long time, I think. And it was great to see you play there. I'd never seen you play before. Listening to the new album, I was like surprised by how many songs I recognized from that show. Partly because like I was surprised that you previewed them so early, but also because like they're so catchy that I immediately remembered them when I heard them again. So like I know your intention isn't to make like capital P pop music, but I'm curious, like do you think of Natural Brown Queen as more of a pop project than Athena? Not really. I just think that maybe it's my sound is just becoming more and more polished, which makes it feel more and more pop. I used to like stray away from that word when I was younger, only because when I was in like a group with my sister, I felt like my stepdad, he was trying to like help us do music, right? And like he would always like bring up pop stars and try to compare us to them and be like, don't you want to be like that? And it wasn't like he was trying to like manipulate me or anything, but he was trying to like push me to like want to like think bigger and stuff. But for some reason, I just didn't like the comparisons he was making. So I was like, no, I want to do what I do, which is I don't know what it is yet, but it's not that. Now I'm not afraid of the word because I just think it means you're popping. And I am popping. So call it pop, call it whatever you want to call it. Because 
it's always going to change to people. Like, people are just so funny. Like, my first EP, somebody tried to label it as folk and country, and I was like, okay. And then, like, I remember the next one, people were labeling it as electronic, and now people are saying pop, and I'm just like, it just depends on, like, the person who's viewing the music's own influences. Like, maybe they hear a lot of pop influences, and maybe someone who knows about fiddle music is saying, I hear a lot of Irish music influence. And maybe someone who's like grew up in a church is like, this sounds like church worship worship music, you know? So I don't know what it is. I don't really care what, what it is. But if pop means popular, then go ahead and call it that because I really wanted to reach like a wide audience. I used to just want to like be very like, I work my job and then I do open mics and I do this and, and play. That's my life. But now I'm just like, no, I want my music to be reaching as many people as it can. Because like, why not? You know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think of pop as like a disparaging word or anything. I don't think it necessarily is like a descriptor really either. Like anything can be pop really. Yeah. And also I realized a lot of the older experimental artists are now like, a lot of experimental artists mold what it becomes pop. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Bjork and Tame Paula and Metronami and all these people, like, they were doing, like, experimental music. Like, when it first came out, it was looked as that. But now it's, like, the new sound of pop. And so I think that's good. If I can influence the way that pop music is made, that's super cool. If you're able to influence the way majority of musicians and stuff in the pop world making music. I think that's just super cool to be that influential, you know? Talk to me a little more about your relationship with church music, because I know that's where you started playing violin. Kind of an interesting place to start playing violin, because I don't necessarily think of the violin when I think of uh, church music. Was it unusual for, for your church to have a violinist? Did they kind of just roll with it when you joined, or was it kind of a process? Yeah, basically, they were rolling with it. They just thought it was cool, like a violin player in the choir. People in like those type of churches, those small churches, they're really like supportive about kids getting up and playing anything they want to play. Like if it was like a rain stick, they'd be like, "Yeah, play it for the in the name of God, play it for God, like rain, play that rain stick." So it was just a very supportive community. Like I just felt like. I could just go up there and play. And my mom kind of pressured me to, because it it felt unusual to me. I was like, what am I going to do up there, you know? And she was like, just, that's how people, like, that's how real musicians do it. They just get up and play by ear, just go and do it. So that was like my first experience, like getting up and just having to just like go with the flow. And I had to learn how to play by ear and how to fit in where I fed in. And I remember the orchestra, not the orchestra, but the choir leader, Camille, she would like find church songs that had violin solos to make it even easier. Like go home and listen to that part and try to like play that solo. So it felt like really good that they were trying to like mold the set for me too. Cause the violin sometimes like in a band, you can't really hear it. Like it's like a softer instrument. So they would like try to highlight, make moments for me to like play a solo and stuff, but I definitely felt like really awkward at first, but I just felt so like supported and like the drummer was like my boyfriend at the time. So I was like, <laughs> trying to like sound super cool and good for him too. Like, and it was fun because like we could be closer. Like we were like right there 
I remember I would like play right next to him and stuff. Do you come from like a musical family at all? I know your stepdad was a was a big producer, but before that, I feel like my dad he was like always a musical person, but he never pursued music. He went to school for theater. He was like known for being really like popular, kind of like really crazy personality guy, and he would always like be the best in the theater, like where you had to sing and stuff. So I feel like it got a lot of that from him. And his mom was like really into the church and like sung in the church too. And then like some of my cousins, they picked up piano and stuff. They're really good at that. I remember one of my cousins was like the keyboard, the other keyboardist in the choir too. It's like a natural music background, but it's not like anybody was doing it professionally or anything. It was just like, Everyone kind of knew how to do something, you know? Yeah, and I've heard the story about, like, you deciding you wanted to play violin because you saw, like, an Irish folk band playing violins. Do you still listen to any type of, like, Irish music? Yeah, I just went to an Irish um, fiddle show. It was, like, this guy, Jerry O'Connor. Well, he was playing Irish jigs, and he was, like, talking about the stories and how he learned them, and he was really good like it was crazy and then it just reminded me like that's the reason why I play music because the Irish jig music is just so wild and upbeat and just really cool like you don't really hear violin sound like that in pop music so if I could influence pop music in any way it would be dope to like bring those like dying traditions and sounds into modern making music because that was like the whole plan of me moving to LA. It was like, I really wanted to be an ethnomusicologist for like dying string instruments. So in a way, I guess I'm still doing that. From there, like I know you got into uh, Sudanese music and, and other African music and like the like single string uh, fiddle players. Can you just sort of like talk a little about how that came to be, how you were first introduced to that music and what you liked about it? Yeah, I feel like um, I was just looking for like representation, I guess, because... I remember just knowing that I didn't want to really be in an orchestra. I, I like playing violin, but I don't think I wanted to be in an orchestra. And I liked fiddle club, but I think I moved to a different school where they didn't have like fiddle after school program or something. So I was just like looking for ways to be inspired to like maybe keep playing violin. So when I realized that like there was this whole like violin culture in Sudan and in Ghana and in Eastern Europe and stuff. When I was like, and like, you know, the Irish stuff that I was already aware of, when I like connected all of those and it just felt like they were all kind of connected in a way. Like to me, it seemed like an unconventional way to approach violin because I came from like a Western way when I first started. And then when I went to different schools, there was never like orchestra there or anything. So I was just playing in church. But when I was like looking up, I guess since Sudan was a nickname that my mom gave me, I started to look up like music of Sudan. And then I realized that they really, really mess with the violin heavy. Like it's a part of their culture. And then that they have like a lot of traditional music with violin and vocals. And I think that really made me feel like it was maybe like preordained for me to have that nickname so I could explore the songwriting approach of the way they make music because I feel like it changed the way that I made my songs because I realized that you don't have to like have violin like tucked in the background or it doesn't have to be like this like legato pretty moment. It can be like wild and like crazy and just piercing and just like aggressive, you know? So it kind of reminded me of fiddle music too, of like the Irish and 
and the way that they played the violin. It reminded me of like Prince and Jimi Hendrix or people that just play guitar and sing and how their guitar is like a huge part of their set and then their songs. So I thought that I could just be like the violin version of that, you know. How did you get the, the nickname Sudan? My mom just gave me the nickname because I was going to like call myself like Tokyo Moon. She was like, no. I just remember that. And I remember saying just, what about Sudan? Like Sudan Moon. And then it changed to Sudan Archives. But basically, like, she just thought it was a really pretty name. And then I think I realized that the meaning in Arabic is like land of the blacks. So I thought that was kind of cool, too. But she just did not want me to call myself Tokyo Moon. Was that like a reference to to Sailor Moon? <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone loves Sailor Moon. But yeah, I think I think you chose a better name. You haven't done many interviews between the release of uh, Athena and now, um, which makes a lot of sense because you've been working on an album. But um, what else have you been doing in the meantime besides making the record and touring? Trying to make my house look really cute and build the studio in my basement because during COVID, I made a basement studio. And I usually always like do stuff in my bedroom, but now I actually have space where I can like dedicate the basement to just being a music studio. So that was really fun. Do you still have a pet python? A completely other question, but uh, I read an interview where you said you had a pet python. (laughs) Yeah, and actually he's lost right now. Oh no. Yeah, actually he broke out his cage like two days ago and I don't know where the fuck he's at. Usually he's always under that red bean bag, but right now I don't know where he is. And I think I might have to try to lure him somehow, like get a mouse and just like leave it in the center of the room and see if he'll go investigate it. But I'm kind of scared because I just, I have looked everywhere and I just can't find him. Like, I don't know where he went, but they can go three months without food. So last time I lost him once, he I found him in a week, but he hasn't ate for like a month. So I kind of feel like, I hope he comes out soon because I don't want him to starve. You don't see those women, they are average fruits and juices, all that you desire, bleed you water from the islands. You can be yourself for me. Homemaker, since we're talking about your home, um, that song came out uh, just a couple weeks before when I saw you at the festival. Um, I like how uh, that song goes against like the traditional image of a homemaker, or like the traditional maybe perception of a homemaker as something like regressive or like unfeminist. Did you set out to try to challenge that perception when you're making this song, or did it just like sort of come naturally? It definitely came naturally, but that's what's so cool about doing music videos because you can really like analyze the song and really like go for it. The person who directed, Jocelyn, directed the music video. I really liked her treatment because I was basically like a siren. Like in the treatment, it was like I was this siren that basically is luring these men to just like 
feel hypnotized like they're at home. And then it flickers to like the real freaky siren me. But I look like this Midwestern, like kind of sweetie shopping for home decor and stuff. But really, it's like we're not even in a furniture store. We're literally in a mirage. And I just thought that was such a cool treatment and idea. Well, why did you choose that one to like open both the album and like the release cycle? Like, what did you think made it like the lead single and like the opening track? I think because it was the it was done. It took so long to finish these songs. Like, it was probably one of the songs that were just done. Like, every other song, I just kept changing the ideas. I kept like gathering other people's ideas and like, it's just like, I feel like that was one of the songs that was just done. And then, I don't know if I'm supposed to mention this yet, but it is the first track on the album. But it was so weird because I had all these demos and I just knew that that was the first song, like even before the album was even done. It was like this weird thing where I like put all of these like demos that aren't even finished in like a playlist. And I was just like, this is how I think the album should go. And then it never changed. Probably it's supposed to be like an introduction somehow to just the whole thing. But it was just like natural. I, I just, it was always the first thing in the playlist. I think Natural Brown Prom Queen also sounds a lot like a like a first track. It's sort of like a vibe shift from Homemaker to like the big like the bazooki at the beginning of the title track. Did, did you think of it that way? Like a like a vibe shift from the first song when you when it when when the bazooki came in and like sort of it sort of to me like brought me back to like some of your earlier stuff. I know I really like that bazooki. Like Simon on the Moon helped with that and he plays like all of these crazy instruments and like he was probably like one of my favorite people to work with because he has so many like because I feel like I like to collect instruments like string instruments and I feel like he has all these crazy instruments too so it was like super fun. Did you pick him out because he also had a moon name? So this is the thing like I didn't even realize I basically did a blind test and I basically listened to like that song from like five other people and I picked him. And I was like, I don't want to know who anybody is, what their name is or anything. I just want to listen to the stuff. So then after that, I found out that who he was and everything, like after the album was just like done. I thought that would be like a fun experiment. What was the experiment? Like you just like, did you have, did you know you wanted a bazooki? Did you know you like, and did you do that for all the songs? I didn't even know what I wanted. I was just like open to like whatever it was basically in my basement, my the the plan was I'm gonna take from what I like and mix it all to myself and like arrange it all myself how I like. And so I never really said the type of stuff that I want or instruments or anything, but he just stood out because he was just like all the instruments he was playing was just so like cool and bizarre sounding to me. It had like a live feel, like you could, you could, I could tell that he was playing like instruments, like it wasn't just like sampling or anything. I was like, this is cool. So did you basically just like send out the stems or of, of the demos like to just a bunch of musicians? Or like how, how did that work? Basically, my management had some ideas of maybe who probably would be a good fit. For example, Natural Brown Prom Cream. I like liked two people's ideas, so the bridge. Like I'd be seeing things like where it's like these vocals and it's like this like anime sounding moment. That's like a whole different producer, but I just used that bridge for the bridge because I don't know, I thought it'd be like a weird change up. And the song like slowly gets faster and faster and faster. 
So I remember I took like a guitar from someone else's idea and just put the guitar on it. And then like, I did a lot of like, I don't know what that's called, but I just pieced a lot of stuff together. And I never have done that before. I would just be like, I like both of these takes on this. So I just split it up. Like it was the first part. And then the second part is the other instruments. So it was just kind of was like a, a really weird, like mixed media, like kind of approach. But I thought I thought it was cool. So speaking of like the personnel on the album, looking at the credits, it seems like the main producer was uh, Ben Dickey. How did you link up with him? I know he's like worked with a lot of big acts like Feature Islands and like and like Wu-Tang in the past. So that's like a pretty varied catalog of people he's worked with. Yeah, he's my manager. So he kind of like basically was like always linking me with like producers, right, in the past. And I would be like, that was cool, but I kind of think I had some type of anxiety. So I didn't want to work with people in real life. Like, I just wanted to be here and do what I do. Unless they come here, then that's cool. But I just kind of feel like I work best, like, doing everything I do, like, just here. Like, I don't think I need to make a demo at someone else's studio because I don't want to be influenced by what they think I should do or I don't, or I might just be too nervous to even do what I do in front of them. So he probably had, he was like, well, since it's COVID, let's like work remotely with people. You don't have to like go there and then like make a demo and be like, oh, I want to mess with this. But then you can't because it's like on their computer and it's like this process of like taking all the stems and then taking it to your house and stuff like that. So it just felt like it would work out way easier because of COVID and because of my own anxiety and because of my own creativity for me to just stay here and never leave and make music and people can just do what they think would be cool or put instruments over it or co-produce on it. And then I could just listen to it and be like, I don't like any of that, but the drums, you got to keep them. So he basically helped through that. He helped like weave that process together. And then he also was so excited about the project that he had some ideas too. So we never worked in that way before, but I was open to it because I'm just like an open book. Like I'm just like, oh, you think you can make the song better? Then do it. Like, okay, then if I like it, then I like it. And I just want people to like have opportunities. I feel like when you are closed off and you just want to do everything on your own, that's that's cool. But for me, I think it's like more beautiful to like just see what a team could do. And everything else that I've been doing live is such a solo thing. So it's like my only time that I can like work with people and stuff. So I just wanted everybody to feel like welcome to just do anything they wanted to do. And it would just go past me. And if I liked it, then it would stay. Or if I didn't, then I would like go down here and I would maybe like manipulate it in a way or be like, oh, I I like that, but I'm going to move it here. And 
I think that's the best way I've ever worked with people before because um, I just don't think I do well in other people's spaces because I feel like I'm a homemaker and my vibe is so vibey. So I got like my weed here. I got like my stuffed animals, you know, I got the instruments and I got everything I need here. Like if I go there, I got to bring all that there. And then on top of that, I got to like be like, where am I? And like, that's just awkward. Like I'd rather just stay here and then let everybody just do what they do best there. And then it just worked out way easier for me. I don't think I'm like, I don't think I I like it any other way, to be honest. So that was like a fun process because now I figured out if I work with people, that's just probably going to be the best way to do it for now or something when it comes to just my own music. But, and also I got to like invite my friends over and like get my friends to play guitar on certain stuff. Like my friend, Hella Strings, like he played bass on like Sierra and Homesick. And then like Dexter Story played bass on Selfish Soul and like Egyptian Lover did some stuff on another song. And James helped like arrange and stuff like that. So if I was in someone else's studio and I had to delegate and bring all those people there, I wouldn't really know what to say. But since they were all just coming into my space, it was like way much of a vibe where it wasn't like, like it, it didn't feel like too, just like, I don't know. I just don't really do good in other people's spaces. Was there anyone else like you were super excited to work with on the album? Yeah, I think I named them all. I was really excited that Mono Neon like played bass on and produced uh, Interlude. I want to make more music with him, but I just think he's like so talented and all the people I named and even like just close friends like Andre and Kesla and Aya, they played on Homemaker and Andre, like he produced Chevy S10 and all those people, like all, it's like basically the people that make me feel at home are all a part of the album, like everybody. Even my twin sister helped me write Copycat. Like, so it was like definitely like you could say it was homemade in a way, you know? The other song that's out and will be out by the time this comes out is uh, Selfish Soul. Yeah, I mean, I really liked how it's sort of like a celebration of your hair, but also like very honest about like the insecurities you've had about it. Is this sort of like the song is kind of like about your process of like coming to like be comfortable with your hair? Yeah. I remember when I first heard a song like this when I was really little, like it was called I Am Not My Hair by NDIRE. And I really liked that song because I guess in the song Selfish Soul, I try to like kind of make an ode to that song in that way and talk about my own experience with hair and how I've always felt like the insecurities it comes with having like a certain type of hair texture and and specifically maybe America. Like I always feel like it's like a big mind fuck or something like having hair like this. Like I remember I had a natural kind of like hippie phase where I was just wearing my Afro. And also it was really cheap and affordable to just do that because I just had no money. So I just like was just letting it just be whatever it is. And I remember like people would always like ask me questions like like political questions and stuff specifically because they just thought that probably I was which I feel like, I don't know if I technically am, but I think I am just because of who I am. But yeah, I just feel like you're perceived a certain way when you have a certain hairstyle. And I just kind of felt like when I cut my hair, people were like, where? They were like, almost like telling me like, 
I gotta have it like that almost like they're like, where did it go? Or oh my God, like where's the fro? And I'm like, the fro is not a person. Okay. It's gone. Like, doesn't matter. I remember sometimes when I would get certain hairstyles like weave or something, people would be like, oh my God, Sudan's changed. And it's like, the fuck? Like, you don't even know me. Hair has nothing to do with who I am as a person. Like, I have money now, so I'm going to just have different hairstyles. Like, you thought that I was just a hippie? I was just broke. I was a broke hippie, yes. And I'm still a hippie, but I have money to get my hair done out. You should be happy for me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what the song's about. And then also what it, having, like, all those elaborate hairstyles, the stress it comes with because when you start paying for all these hairstyles, you don't want to do certain stuff because you don't want to get it messed up. So then it's like this never ending, just like mind fuck, I think. If I cut my hair, hope I grow it long, back long, back time like way before. If I wear it straight, will they like me more? Like those girls on front covers. Long hair, make them stay little longer. Stay hair, stay straight, though we feel the shape. By the curls, waves, and natural things. Curls, waves, and natural things. Okay, one time, if I grow it long, am I good enough? Am I good enough? About time I embrace myself and so. Time I feed myself and so. It's been so long since I had a soul. What a fellow's color. If I cut it off, Well, we've gone for like 50 minutes. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But uh, anything else that you want to talk about that you're like excited about for the for this announcement? Yeah, like my tour. I don't know when exactly this is coming out. I don't know if it's going to come out during my tour. But basically, I'm really excited about performing the new songs because I'm going to be performing the new songs even though they're not out. And I'm excited to like how to make it live. Do you have a live band picked out to play it with you? And when I saw you at uh, Big Ears, you were, you were all solo. Yeah, like I'm starting to experiment and find the perfect people, but I, I definitely know what I, the type of vibe I'm going for. And I'm actually like about to like figure that out like right now after this interview. Like I have a meeting with Trevor who like basically is going to figure out how to make my, make my violin like integrate into Ableton to where I can like do all of the effects that I've ever wanted to do and do all the looping that I ever wanted to do. Like I feel like he's basically like, there's not a lot of people who can do this with the violin specifically. So I'm just like so happy that I can like, I have the tools to be as nerdy as I want to be now. So I'm just really excited about that alone. I think that alone even is going to make my solo shows even like crazier. Then on top of that, I already have like ideas of how I want the band or the duo to be or whatever. Like I feel like I have a lot of ideas that I'm going to like be testing out until the actual um, homecoming tour. Was there any new gear on this album or any new gear that you're taking on tour with you that you're excited about? Yeah, I'm super excited about basically like not taking like my fucking guitar pedal on tour. This is like 60 pounds and, I, and it has like, doesn't have like a really good handle. So I, I was like always just like carrying it and like my left arm just became like really buff, like in the right arm, not as buff. So I'm happy to not use that and I'm going to replace it with like this machine called the 12 step, which basically is going to do that, but it's not going to be 60 pounds. And then I'm really excited about the SPDX because I'm going to be like triggering things live. I'm just really excited about that for some reason. I've always wanted that in my set, like to 
be able to like trigger stuff with the sticks. Like I just think it's so, so cool. Well, that's really exciting. I'm excited to see you on tour. And yeah, I'm excited about this album. I think it's really great. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. That was Brittany Parks talking to the Faders' Raphael Helfand. Sudan Archives' new album, Natural Brown Prom Queen, is out September 9 via Stone's Throw. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, AMP. Download it from the App Store and check out our shows with the access code FADERONAMP. That's all one word. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.